I sort of think of that as the, you know, the Everest ex- explanation. Why do people climb Mount Everest? Because <laughs> it's there. Why does the rat open the restrainer? Because it's there. Well, I don't think that's true because when the restrainer is there and it's empty or it contains a toy rat, he doesn't do it. He doesn't open it. So I don't think the Everest explanation works. That voice you just heard was Dr. Peggy Mason. Dr. Mason sat down to talk with us about her work on rats helping rats. No, it's not a story about politics, but rather a discussion about empathy and prosocial behaviors in laboratory animals. That's coming up next on the Grox Science Show. Hello and welcome to the Grok Science Radio Show. I'm Forrest Goulden, and I'll be your host today. Today I'm joined by Dr. Peggy Mason. Dr. Mason is a professor in the neurobiology department at the University of Chicago. She is also the author of a startlingly approachable textbook for medical students, Medical Neurobiology. Most topically for us today, Dr. Mason is a senior author on a paper recently published in the journal Science. Dr. Mason, thank you for joining us today. Hey, it's wonderful to be here. Your article currently in Science is titled Empathy and Prosocial Behavior in Rats. Let me begin by asking you, uh, what is prosocial behavior? So prosocial behavior basically means helping, uh, doing something to help another individual. Okay, and uh, can you give us a brief description of empathy? Sure. So um, we were interested in... in, uh, in empathy, which is essentially some version of uh, communicating emotional state from one individual to another individual. So it's a social-emotional um, interaction. And before we started, we knew that uh, rats could show, we knew rodents anyway, could show emotional contagion. And a very good example of emotional contagion is when one baby cries, all the babies cry. So um, Jeff Mogul at McGill University had shown that when one mouse, I always have to remember to say mouse, I'm very rat-centric, um, when one mouse uh, feels pain that all the uh, surrounding mice that see this mouse will feel more pain. We wanted to go a step beyond emotional contagion and look at uh, empathic concern if 
a social feeling of, or social communication of emotion that leads to actual helping. So pro-social behavior is more an activity that you can actually observe. That's and right. empathy is a motivation for that behavior? That's right. What we, what we ended up doing um, was we put uh, two rats into an arena, and one rat was um, trapped in, in, in a restrainer that was placed in the center of the arena, and the other rat was free to roam around. And what we immediately saw was that the free rat really didn't like it that the rat in the restrainer was trapped. And he went, he made a beeline for the restrainer, climbed on it, bit it, climbed all over it, just tried to figure out this restrainer thing to try and get the, uh, the trapped rat out. The restrainer, it's more or less a small plastic tube, almost like a straitjacket for a rat, right? Except that it's not so straitjackety. It's it's not that small, so they can actually turn around in it. Okay. So it's not. It's a very mild stressor. They're not like they don't like it. Don't get me wrong, but um, they're not freaking out. Can you tell that the rat in the restrainer is stressed? It's easier to see that the free rat's stressed than the oh, really? trapped rat. The trapped rat, you know, I don't know. I don't know rats rat <laughs> expressions that well. It's I I imagine and i know that um that the rats don't like to be restrained or Mm -hmm. put into some small um container uh but it's not that obvious with the free rat it's obvious did the free rat know that the restrained rat was stressed had the free rat spent time previously in the restrainer they had never been in a restrainer and that's a really good point they'd never been in the restrainer so they it, it sure looks like and um there's really no other explanation besides the idea that they know that the trapped rat is is stressed how did the free rat know that the restrained rat was stressed right so rats um make alarm calls and those alarm calls happen at 22 kilohertz which is a, well above our okay. hearing capacity or hearing range but we had a um bat detector and you can dial back detectors into 22 kilohertz, and so we always were recording just in case an alarm call or two would happen. And what we found was that in all the trapped uh, sessions, the sessions with a trapped cage mate, uh, there were only 13% of those sessions contained an alarm call. And the alarm calls were coming from presumably the trapped They were always rat. coming from the trapped rat. Oh, okay. we, we, we looked the at the synchronized video and in all the cases that we could tell who emitted it it was always the trapped rat in 10 percent of the cases we couldn't tell who it was but i would it really looks like it's always the trapped okay. rat so one rat is in a restrainer and emitting vocalizations that indicate to a second free rat that the restrained rat is stressed and uncomfortable the free rat picks up on the restrained rat's discomfort uh, what happens next so the free rat just goes all over the restrainer and and if the there's a lot of holes in the restrainer so if the um if the trap rat has a tail that's sort of sticking out the free rat will grab the tail and and pull it because it really doesn't get this whole thing it's doing whatever it can to get the trap rat out that doesn't work but um they get repeatedly put into this situation for an hour on a per day for 12 days and by day three or four or five, something around there, they will accidentally open the restrainer. 
The restrainer has a door that it can only be opened from the outside. How is the door to the restrainer opened? This is a, it's a door that's counterweighted so that if the rat can sort of lean on it in one of a few different ways and it will just topple over. And by accident, he does that. But the first time he does that, he um, outcomes the trapped rat. So the next day he comes back and now he says, okay, well, I'm very worried about the trapped rat, but now I know that the, the payoff came when I was over in this area, this area by the door. So um, the free rat goes immediately to, this, to the door and concentrates his efforts on the door. And so instead of it taking the free rat, say, 35 minutes to open the door, now the next day it takes him 15 and the next day after that, maybe five minutes. And by day 12, they're opening it within seconds. So there are a lot of different ways to open the restrainer. Do the free rats always use the same method to open the door? Not initially. Initially, they definitely open it by accident. But by the third time that they open it, they're always opening it the same way, the preferred way, which is with their snout. How do you know that the free rat didn't just want another rat to socialize with? Exactly. That's, uh, that was our first thought. We knew that the rat was helping, the free rat was helping the trap rat, because the free rat was, in fact, liberating the trap rat. But the easiest explanation is, I want my playmate. <laughs> and, um, and that was possible. So what we did was we put two arenas together. And uh, so now, instead of putting the restrainer in the middle of one arena, we put the restrainer so that the door was adjacent to the divide between the two arenas. So now when the free rat opens the door, the trap rat is liberated, but into the adjacent arena. We did this for over 70 days. And we did it in two different ways. Either the, we put a restrainer in that was empty or a restrainer in that had the, had the trapped cage mate. And when it was the trapped cage mate, he opened the door. And when it was empty, he stopped opening the door. So that convinced us that um, I, there's no doubt that rats like to play with each other. But what it, that experiment convinced us of is that that social interaction or that chance to socially interact with the trapped rat was not necessary. You also did an experiment that involved chocolate. Why did you add chocolate? What was the motivation? That was, um, was a very, I mean... We just sort of came up with this. The, the, the motivation for doing this experiment was we actually wanted to ask Mr. Rat, how much do you want to liberate your, your trapped cage mate? And I assume rats like chocolate. Well, w these rats did. So, <laughs> you know, we, could, we can't actually ask the rat this. So what we have to do is find a language in which we can communicate. So we had these rats that had been used for a different experiment, a behavioral experiment. There was no manipulation. But they liked chocolate. And, uh, and so we, had, um, we were giving them bowls of chocolate chips, and they were uh, free to eat as many chocolate chips as they want, wanted in a sitting. Um, and these rats ate, on average, more than ch seven chocolate chips. So they really liked the chocolate chips. And during that time when they ate the chocolate chips, they'd never touched the chow. Okay, so this is a preferred food. This is yummy. Um, so then what we did was we put in two restrainers into the arena. In one, there were five chocolate chips, which is not as many as they'll eat. 
and in the other is the trap cage mate. So the rats were given a choice between freeing a restrained rat or freeing delicious chocolate chips? It's kind of a choice, but they can do both. So it's not Sophie's choice, so to speak. <laughs> so um, what the rats ended up doing is opening both restrainers. And uh, once they knew what they were doing, the latency, uh, uh, the time that it took them to open the two different restrainer types was not different. So they'd open one and then the other, the other and then than the other one. I mean, in no particular order. So, so they, there was not different. So they didn't do what I would have done, which would have been open the <laughs> cage with the chocolate chips and eat those and then open the restrainer with the other rat. Exactly. Exactly. And so what that basically told us is that for a rat, uh, helping a, uh, a cage mate is on a par with chocolate. And that's, that's you know, that was quite impressive to us. And and but it wasn't amazingly it wasn't the most impressive piece of that experiment because at one point we realized that the free rat was not eating all five chocolate chips and so we went back and we counted every bloody chocolate chip <laughs> and the free rat ate on average three and a half chocolate chips and these not, rats would not eat, five they would eat seven chocolate they'd chips eat or so seven chocolate chips no problem control. but even more so we also had we had a control condition where there was chocolate in one restrainer and an empty restrainer and in that instance the free rat ate all five chocolate chips so what that tells us is that there's nothing particular about this arena setup that is decreasing say their appetite that doesn't happen so they're you know, there's a significant difference between how many chocolate chips they eat when there's a liberated cage mate and when there's not. And the, the implication is they are purposely leaving some for the other guy. And, and that's shocking to me. Um, you know, rat, uh, here's a rat. It sees food and it doesn't eat it because there's another rat there. That's shocking. There's so many ways that the free rat could hog all the chocolate, even if he liberates the, mm -hmm. the, the trapped rat. I mean, he, because it takes the trapped rat a minute to get out, a moment to get out of the restrainer, he could open the, the door for the uh, trapped rat and then run over to the chocolate restrainer, open that, and just put his butt in there, <laughs> and then the trapped rat can't get in. And he could just finish off all the chocolates, and he doesn't. And I think that's absolutely remarkable. Um, I, I, it's a hard sharing food is hard for primates to do. The idea that that rats do it um, is is shocking to me. Where did the sharing food evolutionarily come from? Why do primates and apparently rats and other mammals share food? Uh, I, I mean, empathy and and helping behavior and being nice is um is important evolutionarily for a couple of reasons one is that a ma it, it, we think that um empathy at its root came from the relationship between a mom and her offspring so a mom has to know when her babies are hungry uh in pain cold tired whatever and has to attend to those needs and what we think happened over evolution is that that mom-to-offspring uh, relationship became generalized to many other relationships. So that now we're seeing um, the same type of behavior between two adult 
unrelated males. Um, and the, and the other the other reason that I think um, em- empathy and um, helping evolved is that we're social mammals, and we are by we we are constrained to be interdependent. Um, if one of us goes down, it impacts everyone else. Um, and so I think that that within that context, it's not. Um, surprising that social mammals uh, have evolved these these um, patterns of behavior that are helpful to one another. So in these tests you looked at mostly male rats, but you also looked at some female rats. Right. Was there a difference in their empathy? If there was a little bit of a difference. Um, so we tested six females in the trapped cage mate condition and all six of them became openers and we tested 24 males in that condition and 17 became openers but seven did not become openers they're what we call non-openers and one of the things that we want to do in the future is understand why um why some rats don't open um we have some ideas um but getting back to the female male thing that difference turns out not to be uh, different, uh, so it's not a greater, it's not significant uh, different proportions, but what is different is that the females do it faster, and and I think the reason the females do it faster is that um, they actually don't take day, days off, so if a male, let's say a male, a typical male will learn how to open the door on, say, day six, well, on day nine, he just made me take a vacation. Doesn't do it that day. And so, um, and the females don't do that. They get right down to business. They get in there, they open the door, boom. And they don't take days off. Um, so that was, that was I'd, I'd say, the major difference. Personally, I think that the, the similarities between the genders is more striking than the differences. We, when we started this, we didn't think that the males would show empathy, but they show it perfectly fine. They're, they're very empathic. All these rats were also cage mates before they went in the testing right. arena. Do you right. think you would have gotten different results had they been unrelated or males and females that didn't know one another? Well, we've actually already done the experiment with um, uh, rats that didn't, don't know each other. We did it every day. They saw a different rat for 12 days. Okay. And um, they opened for strangers. Huh. So I, I don't think that's, um, that's going to be a big uh difference uh it's interesting to to consider that babies uh babies are helpful i don't know if you you know this but there's a whole (laughs) literature on babies and empathic helping so if you drop something and it's out of your reach and this is these are psychology experiments that have been done with 14 month old 16 month old um babies and the baby will reach over and hand it to you without you saying anything and chimpanzees do the same thing and babies and chimpanzees will do it for people that they know and people that they don't know. They don't have a, a, a sort of an in-group bias, if you will, or a familiarity bias. The thought is that that bias um, is part of culture and that it develops over by the time they get to, say, four or five, six years old. So we start out being more empathic than we end up when we're adults. That's right. That's right. That's depressing. Well... Yeah, there's 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 actually minuses to empathy. Can you 
mentally? Well, I mean, one one example is it gives rise to nepotism. It gives rise to um, uh, it can give rise to choices that most of us wouldn't make. For instance, if my um, my a relative of mine is on a train track, stuck on a train track, and a million people are on a different train track. I still may choose to have the train go down the million people instead of hit my mom. That's not a particularly moral outcome, but it is very born of empathy. Dr. Mason, I was wondering if you'd be willing to play a little game with us. Uh, <laughs> we do it every week on the Grok Science Radio Show. It's called the Grokatron 5000. If you're willing, it's really lighthearted. You shouldn't take it too seriously. But I'll give you a scenario in the name of five different individuals. And just put them in that scenario, and, and you'll just have to answer yes or no or that sort of thing. It's easy. I'll try it. I can't promise anything. Okay, well, here's your scenario. Uh, you're in a straitjacket in the middle of an arena. A door opens, and Charlie Sheen walks out. Do you expect Charlie Sheen to show empathic concern and release you from your straitjacket? No. No? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what, what about uh, instead of Charlie Sheen, if it were Tiger Woods? Uh, oh, okay. not really. <laughs> uh, what about President Barack Obama? Oh, yeah, he'd let me out. Okay, and person number four, former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. Jeez, uh, I don't think so. I was going to say, it depends on what, what's in the other restrainer. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you go for the chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, last but not least, uh, the Rat King from the ballet The Nutcracker. I don't know the Rat King, but sure. Okay, that's good to know also. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us again here on the Grok Science Radio Show. Thank you very much, Forrest. It's been great. The paper is Science, Science Empathy, and Pro-Social Behavior. The book is Medical Neurobiology. It came out in May. Yep. Dr. Mason, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. If you're interested in hearing more from us, you can find us on the web by pointing your favorite search engine to the Grox Science Show. The Grox Science Show is also on Facebook and Twitter, so look for us there. And if you want to email us, you can reach us at science at grox.net. Thanks for listening to us today, and if you email us, tweet us, or post to us on Facebook or our website, we'd love to listen to you. For the Grox Science Show, and for Charles Lee, Frank Ling, Elise Kovic, and Joanna Rao, I'm Forrest Goulden. <laughs>